Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gypsy Poet Radio. I'm the Gypsy Poet, and this evening I'm elated to bring you best-selling author of three amazing titles. They are Banished, Spelled, and Wanted. And this author has revolutionized the way we look at the fairy tale and brought it to this generation to a whole new level. Please welcome the captivating and amazing Betsy Scow. <laughs> How are you, my lady? Oh, I'm very good, Jiffy. How are you? <laughs> well, um, um, there's so many things I want to get I, I, I want to get to, but first I want to uh, settle my mind a little bit because, like I said, I'm really awestruck and excited that you have called in on my program. Uh, I'd like to send a shout out and a dedication to Miss Ina Perales and Mr. Alfred Anthony this evening. For I know they probably will be listening later to the show. This is a very important show for me because um, it involves an individual who's in the literary world and the publishing industry, which is something that I'm very close to, and uh, the things that I do on a daily basis. So um, I know those two will be listening, and I'm, I'm hoping that they do enjoy the show. Um, let's get into you, Miss. Go! What a wonderful event this is. I want to start with our film originally. Um, let's see. I feel like a little bit of the uh, Johnny Cash song. You know, I've been everywhere, man. Um, <laughs> so, uh, born in Utah and then moved uh, to West Virginia and uh, spent most of my formative years. Um, in West Virginia and uh, got uh, kicked out of a Christian school. That's always fun. Uh, these are the, the fun stories that, you know, get, that surprise you and, and add flavor to your writing. But uh, um, I was kicked out of a Christian school for being too good. It's, it's bizarre. That is another tale. Um, but then uh, that kind of instituted a uh, I graduated because that was such a, a hard experience. I graduated that year at 16, and so I went back to Utah to go to college and lived there for um, another 20 years, and now I live in Maryland. That's quite a roadmap. <laughs> yeah. it, it led you to, to your treasure, I tell you. Wow. Um, who or what inspired you to get into writing and publishing? Let's see. Um, to start with, uh, in, I'd say, junior high, uh, I just loved doing stories, and I had a healthy, uh, sometimes not so healthy, um, competitive nature with a couple of classmates of mine that whenever there was an essay contest or a short story contest or whatever it was, we all traded places, you know, back one, two, three, sometimes I was lead. Sometimes uh, the other two were taking turns off of it. And that kind of fed a, you know, get better, get stronger um, 
mentality and you know both of those two have gone on to do amazing things they're they're big league people <laughs> they're they're very famous um and you know as i saw them rise you know i went to to college and, and went on to motherhood and those kind of things and that kind of pushed me harder to go you know why didn't i ever write that book why didn't i um you know, ever finish one of these stories. I'd get a couple chapters in and then be like, how do I finish a book? This is really hard. I don't know what to say next. And so at 30, um, just as I didn't go to school for writing, I just happened to like to tell stories. I just decided, you know what? I'm going to take a class. I can totally do this. And that's pretty much what I did. I took a, a writing class where the teacher was absolutely nuts, but, uh, you know, he would rip up the other student's stuff sometimes, like literally rip the pages in half. Um, I'd just be like, this is garbage. Uh, but at the same time, you know, would also praise just as hard and he happened to, to really um, like my stuff. And so he introduced me to the business and um, helped get me my first contract, which was not for fiction, actually, but for um, nonfiction. And so that started my career in that way. And so once I finished the nonfiction, I was like, but I wanted to tell fun stories. And that's when I decided to, to go back to my true love, which is fiction. That's quite a feat of excellence. <laughs> um, do, you, do you by any chance have a particular author that you gravitated to to inspire you in writing and going into publishing? Um. Boy, the biggest for me has always been um, Terry Pratchett uh, and Neil Gaiman. The Terry Pratchett in particular of just the whimsy and the wit and still managed to be accessible um, to everyone. You know, it was something that I could read, but also that I could read to my children. And... Mm. That is that is very rare to find something that's not, um, you know, not to say that there's something necessarily wrong with, like Neil Gaiman has amazing uh, imagination and an amazing way to work with words, but his stuff tends to be a little more adult content oriented. And uh, I was really drawn to, to both with the way that they craft their stories, but especially with Terry Pratchett and just, that you can engage that much without necessarily having to include some of that stuff, right? to, that you can still be clean and have a good time. Oh, wow. That's great. And so what do you like best about the writing process? Is there a particular stage that you really get yourself uh, excited about? Um, yeah, so... My favorite is coming up with the ideas. So I always start with a what if question of, you know, what if, just to throw something off at the top of my head, what if everybody went to sleep tonight and only a select group of people woke up and everyone else was stuck, not in necessarily slumber, but in the middle, like at a set time, let's say it's six in the morning. Let's say it's six in the morning, everyone froze. 
except the select group of people. Um, you know, what, what would you do then? You know, it's not a zombie apocalypse. They're just frozen. They're just frozen in time, and time moves faster for you than it does for somebody else. And so, I mean, that was just something I came up with right then, but I'll sit there and perseverate on it and just go, what would happen? And so I will just, I have trouble sleeping sometimes. And so I will just lay in bed and start kind of from beginning to end, start seeing this movie in my head of just what would happen. Um, And then probably over the next three months or so, I'll start fine-tuning that story in my head of, you know, and then this, and then what if this? And so by the end of that three months, I know my characters, I know my story, I know the world because I've seen it all in my head. I've told it to myself multiple times. And that is by far my most favorite thing because it's not on paper yet. It's not real. It's not set. I can still change it and it can become and grow uh, in my head in any way any way I want it to. And then once once you set it down, it becomes, you know, set in stone, so to speak. And it, it's not quite as alive anymore. So I hope that answers your question. But, yes, the, the pre-writing stage is my favorite. Gotcha. <laughs> I, um, I'll let you in on a little secret. One of my favorite parts is the editing. Heavens, <laughs> yeah. you and can I do was... mine anytime. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's two parts that I like. There's um, there's the the pre-writing, and then there's um, and then there's getting into the story and just processing it as you're going along. I'm one of those mm-hmm. people that doesn't write something from beginning to end. Sometimes I start from the end and go to the beginning. It just all depends on what calls to me. So I understand completely when it comes down to writing, whether it be a, whether it be a poem or even a short story or even a current publication I'm working on currently is uh, fit for a film. But mm-hmm. it, um, it, but it is an amazing experience to, to, um, to observe how, how a story evolves. And one thing I know about my background is I, I come from a background of poets and storytellers, and um, it's, it is it is a grueling process, and it is time-consuming and painstaking. And uh, that's one thing you and I have in common is that we can actually sit and we can observe and absorb those things in, uh, in, in yeah. that time space. Yes, which is awesome. Absolutely. Next question. Yeah, the next question that I had was, um, who are your who are your writing influences? But I think we actually kind of covered that. What um, what yes. I wanted to uh, yes, what I wanted to elaborate on this question is the concept of the fairy tale. Is there an individual that you um, you you gravitate to in terms of influence for the for the fairy tale aspect of the books that you have written? Um, yeah, so uh, Terry Pratchett does do a lot of. Um, kind of that fairy tale fantasy world but I also um am a huge fan of Lewis Carroll of um Frank Baum so Wizard of Oz the Alice in Wonderland um yes. of Grimm I mean some yes. of the the Grimm's fairy tales are freaking horrific but they're also amazing and especially when you start you know seeing where those come from in the different countries um but yeah, I love uh, most those uh, 
the the wonder that is the adult um, Lewis Carroll and Frank Bowman. They were just, you know, insane or on drugs. I have no idea, but the stuff that they came up with was mm-hmm. incredible. Yes, I agree. I thought I'd throw this in. Did you know that L. Frank Baum was the answer to America's question when it came down to writing a fairy tale about a girl because he read um, Alice in Wonderland um, and Through the Looking Glass when he, when he was thinking about, okay, since this guy came up with this concept in England, let me see if I can come up with one here in the States. And boom, we've got Dorothy, Dorothy Gale. See? Nice. I did not yeah. know that. Yes, I, I had to. I, I, uh, I like them both. Yes, exactly. As um, as a matter of fact, I started doing some research on the Wizard of Oz because I was um, reading it, and what I found mm-hmm. is that the, the film is way different than the book. I yeah, mean, very the much. Things, they, the things that they they took out and put in, it's unbelievable. Like, for example, let me give you a couple of details here. Like in the Wizard of Oz. Um, in the book, Dorothy's slippers are silver, whereas in the movie Correct. they are red because it was basically common knowledge that red looks better on screen, first of all. The other thing is um, they they had um, in the book the, the, four, the four different characters, including Toto, they were on a water raft. And in the film, they, they didn't put that in there either. And, um, and the Wicked Witch of the West, when she sent out... Um, Enemies for the for the Fab Four. What she what uh, they left out in the film was that they were um, they, they were supposed to be attacked by a pack of wolves, and the Tin Woodsmen actually would chop their heads off. But they did not put that in the film. They left that out, but yeah. it is in the book. So there's there's some details there. And, Let me uh, offer you as, a little fun fact. Sure, um, go for it. Um, so as I was writing these things. Um, mm-hmm. The the book is in public domain, um, so yeah. I could swipe liberal, liberally from that. However, the movie is not, and so I found out that um, I could not make the slippers red by copyright because they own the ruby slippers. Um, so any mention of that was forbidden, <laughs> and so I had to go back to the original story with the silver slippers. But at the same time, I wanted to give a a nod to the the ruby slippers, and so because I was making this uh, fairy tale mashup that had a bit of the the modern world into it, I created the Hans Christian Louis Vuitton um, ruby slippers that are silver with the ruby heel and sole, which is you know uh, Louis Vuitton's signature uh, heel look of shoes that I will never wear nor can afford, but uh, tying that, because you're right, it was silver in the original book, and uh, they turned them into rubies, which looks great, but yeah, nobody knows that that they were originally silver. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, so I, I wanted to bring that to your attention, and Alice in, Wonder, Alice in Wonderland is actually a book that was inspired by a real person that it greatly influenced Lewis Carroll, and uh, there's, there is little. a whole... Hmm? I, I beg your pardon? Uh, Alice Little was the the girl's yes. name. Yes, absolutely. Wow. 
I'm glad. Now talk about being on the same page, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so... What aspect of the fairy tales do you love best? There's we have the dark side of the fairy tales. We've got the with the evil characters and we got the more harmonious side of unity and harmony and the happily ever afters here. Um is there a favorite part to your is there a favorite part that you dive into when it comes to this process? Um first of all, not the happily ever after. I don't believe in happily ever after. I believe in you make your own happiness ever after. Um, and that looks like a lot of different things to different people. Um, so definitely not that. Um, I do, however, my favorite part of fairy tales, um, if we're talking about more of the modern fairy tales versus the Grimm's, it would be the overcoming. Um, you've, yes. you've usually, I mean, obviously, because that's what makes a story is tension. Um, so you've got, you know, your Cinderella who overcomes, uh, being either abused or, um, you know, hampered from the world, uh, put in this situation that she shouldn't be in and overcomes that to gain her own confidence and, uh, step into her own role. Um, you can do the same thing for Rapunzel. It, it goes over and over and over again. Um, especially you're finding you know, if you if you remove the Disney cuteness aspect, um, it's a lot about female empowerment. It's about women taking their power back. It's not, you know, a lot of times you get stuck in that, but they're princesses' roles. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they may be princesses or, or whatnot, or Disney has made them commercialized. But if you look at them and, and go kind of back into the, the grim part of that, is each one of these women had a horrible thing to happen to them. I mean, Snow White's, uh, uh, her stepmother tried to murder her. And, mm-hmm. you know, she overcame that and, and, and triumphed in the end. So I guess that's my, my favorite message is that we write our own destinies. Uh, we write our own stories. And you really can uh with with a little pixie dust or, you know, just your own pixie dust that you make that you really can uh, overcome everything and but that everything is not necessarily the happily ever after. But, you know, you do the best you can with what you've got. Gotcha. I like that answer. Um, do you feel like that uh, the fairy tales have an aspect to real life to them? And if so, have you ever been uh, a part of that experience in someone's life or even had any of your own? Um, that's a tough one. Getting all deep on me. Um, yes, I absolutely. Uh, there's so many layers. It's like an onion. Good to quote Shrek. Um, fairy tales do. You can peel them back. Uh, in in mine in particular, uh, let's, let's go to spelled for a minute. Um there's a lot of, you know, on the, on one hand, you can read it as a quick read for, for reluctant readers that's funny, that's quick-witted, and you can get through it in like two or three days. Um, and that's it. And if you want to go through the surface and start thinking about it, then you're seeing, you know, it's a, again about a girl who decides to challenge what, um, life has given her, 
you know, or, or what is expected of her or how, when her destiny changes, you know, what's she going to do about it? And if you want to take it, you know, the final step is it's talking about my life um, to where at the time, um, I know that we talked about this a little, or at least put that in my, uh, in my bio is I was coming terms to terms with um, uh, the world and, uh, and being um, LGBTQ and what that looked like and kind of being, you know, could I still have believe in this higher power that, you know, I'd been taught all my life didn't believe in me if that was the case. And so I was kind of feeling that as I was writing it of, um, you know, in the story, there's these, um, the higher power for all these carry, uh, fairy tale characters is called the story makers and it's basically that the author is the highest power and so that's kind of my allegory for god and or or the highest power the supreme being and you know she feels abandoned like are you not there are you not looking out for me and eventually she finds her own peace with oh you are there's something there it's not necessarily what i thought it was but, but I am not alone. Um, and so I think that everyone who writes these fairy tales, where they come from folklore, where they're coming from these women or men who have told the story generation after generation after generation, it's because it happened somewhere or it means something to someone because they're trying to tell a story that is relative to real life. That answered your question. Oh yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, have you ever been inspired from folklore from different parts of the world? Are there any ethnic pieces that you've been inspired by? Oh yeah. Um, so, I practice Wicca. Um, so, the particular brand of Wicca that I practice really studies is more scholarly. Um, so we study a lot of different folklore, a lot of different mythologies, and um, kind of add a, an anthropological, sorry, um, look at it to, you know, anthropology is the study of what ties humans together across cultures. And so kind of doing the same thing, but within mythology, so that, you know, you've got your Roman gods, you've got your Greek gods. Well, why were they, why did they overlap? Why is it? Um, Zeus and Jupiter, you know, the same. Why Mercury and Hermes? Um, you know, where, why are they going across these cultures? Um, so uh, the one that interests me a lot is um, the story of Bridget. And uh, Bridget starts out as a Celtic deity to where she is uh, the... The, she celebrates Imbolc, which is the uh, the holiday between winter and spring, and it's the coming of the earth. It's the fires in the earth forging. She's the goddess of poetry, of of the hearth, of the forge. Um, but you know, she has all these great things and healing and all this magic that she does. But at the same time, as you know, um, Christianity was was colonized there. She then was transformed. These stories were told and told over again until she became uh, Saint Brig. 
And so then she became this woman and this deified saint within uh, Christianity. And so, you know, now she's, um, you know, a virgin. She's, she's a nunnery. She's uh, also still seen as a healer of the people. But then you get into where she's an LGBTQ icon because there are stories that, um, you know, her true love was uh, another woman that, that she stayed with, you know, who was also a nun. And then you take that even further, and the Irish, um, as they were uh, working uh, with, as they were, had moved to the colonies with the African slaves, um, they would tell these stories of their own culture um, going back to the original Brits. And they were then adopted um, by the African culture um, to be part of Bundun and or Voodoo, um, and she became Aloha, one of their great spirits. And it's interesting because she started out, you know, as a life bringer, um, you know, part of maternity. And these, and then in the Voodoo culture, she becomes uh, a goddess of death and the cemeteries and swears a lot. But she's the only Loa or spirit um, in Voodoo who is white with bright red hair going back to Ireland. So that's one of those stories that just fascinates me because it's the same woman throughout every culture and how just the storytelling changes and changes and changes. And the same thing of the stories that we tell and how those will change over generations and how we can be part of that. And I try to bring that to my own books of taking someone else's folklore and tweaking it just a little bit to uh, make something new. I love that. Um, have you ever considered um, having your books turn into films? Netflix, call me. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, I think it would be really cool, um, obviously, to have that happen. So, yes, would I ever turn that down? No. Um, I know that... Uh, at some point someone was looking at it, but, you know, sometimes things don't get greenlit. Um, But, yeah, I can, as I said, when I envision these stories, I I see it in my head first scene by scene. So I I know exactly what it would look like. I know what the screenplay would would sound like. And a lot of my books in particular are heavily um, in dialogue so that it would trend, it would go well in the screen. So, yes, I w- yes, obviously I think about it, and it'd be very nice to have that happen. That'd be kind of one of my bucket list dreams is to see that. And I could, I just die happy probably. <laughs> I would love to see that because my previous guest last night re- uh, really took an interest in you. That's why. So <laughs> I had to tell you. Oh that. hey. Yes, absolutely. Yes, call me. Um, I beg your pardon. I said, yeah, call me. <laughs> of course. Um, so what is the best feedback that you've ever received from readers themselves? Like, what do you mean? Like feedback is in here's how to make things better or just like a fan mail? What What are you thinking? Um, basically, um, j- just any any kind of positive feedback that you have received, um, a, uh, especially from your books like Banished, Spelled, and Wanted. Um, let's see, the, 
I don't know if it's feedback per se, but um, the one that sticks closest to my heart still is I was having just the roughest time of, you know, some, some people liked it, some people didn't, and this was for spelled. And I, you know, you put your heart and soul out there and I was just having, you know, such a hard time because I, I know a lot of authors and a lot of them are getting great reviews and um, they're more literary than I am. And as my agent had said, you know, oh, honey, you're never going to win any, <laughs> any, you know, of the little literary prizes or, or Newbery Awards or those kind of things. That's, just, that's not the type that you write. And part of me felt like I was less. Of a, of a writer for writing commercial instead of writing, you know, beautiful literature and language. Um, and so I was feeling down about myself and, and a woman had written uh, to my publisher and they forwarded the letter to me. And uh, it was a woman who was writing from the hospital and uh, she was going through chemotherapy and she just wanted to tell me thank you that uh, you know, she she took the book with her and for she would only let herself read it while she was in chemo. Um, and she's like, you know, for, for that amount of time, I could escape. I was in a different place. I was in a different world. And it made it easier for me. So thank you for giving me, you know, some place to escape and, and some place to go. Um, you know, keep keep doing it. Please send me more. And, you know, just one of those, I just started crying. But oh my goodness. that was the feedback that I needed to be, I don't need an award. I don't need to have the medal. I don't need to have these, you know, big lists of, you know, New York Times bestseller. Hey, I won't turn that down either. But that doesn't make me any less that I realized that instead of writing for, the numbers, writing for the sales, um, you know, that's, that's heavily in the business is, you know, how many books did you sell this week? How many of this? How many of this? What number are you on the, on the list? It, it dulled all of those voices that were freaking me out. And instead it made me realize that's not why you write. You're writing to change someone's day, someone's life, someone's point of view. You're writing for the one person that you reach and not the masses so everybody else can hate it and that's okay as long as somebody it makes a difference in their life going forward and so at that point that just validated what I had done and it's like all right so so it's not a five-star review you know on Goodreads or or Amazon because I'm kind of a perfectionist and so but it did something for somebody so yeah. I, I achieved something. I reached my goal. Um, that was the the greatest feedback, you know, that really changed the course of my career uh, of not being as freaked out about the business aspect of it, which I hate. So oh, okay. I guess that would be the best I feedback. Yes, I love that. Um, last but not least, your works are, are most popular with young adults, as I have seen so far, and they, and you've made fairy tale mashups like Spelled and Wanted and and Banished. Um, can you define the mashup? Um, the mashup is also another one uh, in the fairy tale business in specific. It's called a fractured fairy tale. 
that's mm-hmm. where you're taking a fairy tale or a base story. In my case, it was Wizard of Oz, and you're mixing in bits and pieces of others. So that's the mashup. So you're taking other worlds and bringing it into your base world, and mm-hmm. then um, your other fracture in that sense is you're retelling the story not in the way that it was originally supposed to be told. So, like in Spelled, I tried to reverse a lot of things. Instead of, you know, darkness being the bad, it was, you know, the beautiful people that were, you know, the ones that were dangerous. Um, Or to where this time Dorothea, because it's Dorothea instead of Dorothy, starts out in Oz and sends her parents to Kansas. And so you've got the mashup aspect where you're bringing in um, more books, more characters from other known worlds into mm-hmm. your world, and then the fractured part, which uh, just breaks the story up and then mixes them all in the little pieces. I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. Awesome. Well, we have reached the conclusion of the program. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so very much for calling in and being such an elaborate and beautiful story. You have quite a lot of research that you have done. Your background is enriching and fascinating. And I could sit for hours and talk to you, seriously, but I'm only a 30-minute show. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm sorry I'm too chatty for you, but uh, but thank you so much for having me. I could... We'll talk later anyway. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but it was a wonderful program, and you have a lot to offer the world, and especially the film world. And I know that um, quite a number of people would be talking about your books being put into something, some sort of visualization, and I cannot wait to see that. And um, I'm very happy that you called in, and, um, and I'm amazed and again, I'm elated. I'm I'm so happy that you did this. And um, those of you listening in, please check out Betsy's show, and you can find her books on Amazon. You can also find them in Barnes and Noble and anywhere books are accessed. And you can also find my material. You can also find me on any podcast platform. You can find me on iHeartRadio.com. You can also find me on Apple Podcasts, and you can find the direct link here. Just type in Gypsy Poet Radio into Google, and my podcast will pop up. Thank you all for joining in and listening in and engaging with the absolutely fascinating and captivating Betsy Scow. What a wonderful show it was, and I hope to have you again on really soon, lady. You are amazing. Thank you very much for having me in any time. Okay, all right. This is the Gypsy Poet signing off saying adieu for now.